1: Daily Premier League news and views. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome to
2: Football Social Daily as we tick over the halfway point of the Premier League season. Thank you again for listening. If you've not subscribed yet and you have to seek out the new shows every single time they're ready, then give yourself an easy life. We don't want complications and difficulties and extra effort at the moment. Just click subscribe. And whenever the new shows are ready... We'll find you. I'm Jim Salverson and joining me on the pod this morning, well, we've got Newcastle issues to discuss, so we've got Mooney Marley-Anderson, primed and ready to go. Morning, Marley.
3: Shocker that we've got uh, problems to discuss when it comes to this club, innit? <laughs>
2: Hello, good morning, anyway. Unexpected, and we've got our very own Stato alongside him, Ian Brennan. How are you doing, Ian?
0: I'm good, thanks. I'm pleased that I'm building some kind of niche for myself.
2: You've <laughs> got a little, little you, bit of a personality to add to it. Yeah,
0: you won't be disappointed today, anyway. Oh,
2: good. Oh, good. Some stats to come then. (laughs) Of course, it is January, which means we're knee-deep in transfer gossip at the moment. We're going to be looking at the most interesting stories at the end of today's show, including a want-away midfielder at Spurs, a Premier League return for an ex-Manchester United flop, and a top-flight switch potentially for Jesse Lingard. Plus, it's a repeat of last week's FA Cup third-round game tonight as Arsenal welcome Newcastle United to the Emirates Stadium. Steve Bruce says he's going to do things his way from now on. But will that be enough to overcome Arteta's resurgent gunners or even win over some of the Geordie fan base? That remains to be seen. You'll get a full rundown on most of the Premier League's action on last night's pod, by the way, if you're looking for that. Rob, Pete and Ant will talk you through all the games from the weekend. But the late kickoff last night finished a little bit late for that podcast. So today we're going to start with Manchester City versus Crystal Palace. City are back in the running for the Premier League title after a 4-0 win over Palace last night. It was pretty comfortable for the Blues once again. And also, once again, it was a result that was driven by Kevin De Bruyne, who notched up 100 Premier League, not 100 assists in that game, 100 assists (laughs) in his Manchester City career, which is pretty impressive. And we know right now, Ian, that... Kevin De Bruyne is one of the best in the world, if not the best midfielder in the world. But where does he sit on that list of all-time greats, particularly in the Premier League, when we compare him to the likes of, I don't know, like Frank Lampard and Beckham and Cristiano Ronaldo?
0: Well, um, I I saw this coming and uh, I, I did have a look into it because... The, actually, the, the stats that I've got are, are slightly out of date, but the, the players involved are, are sort of legends, as you mentioned. So they've they've not actually played in the uh, in the meantime. So I'm, I'm fairly sure that these these numbers haven't changed uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, <laughs> Kevin De Bruyne is now the fifth all-time greatest assister in Premier League history. Can you name the other four? Oh,
2: I like a little quiz. Well, I'm mm. gonna have. I said Frank Lampard at the top. Yeah. So I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna say Frank Lampard's on that okay. list. Frank Lampard at number four. Rooney? Uh, Rooney, number three. Uh, Henry? No. 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 No, not on assists. Henry. Oh, Giggs. Giggs is number one. Oh, what about oh. Paul Scholes then? Are we adding Paul Scholes into that list? Uh, Paul Scholes <laughs> no, isn't even no in the top way. ten of all time. In fact, there's only Kevin De Bruyne um, and James Milner in the top ten who are, who, who, who are currently playing. Uh, and and would likely be able to increase. I mean, I I don't think James Milner's going to radically increase where he's at. He's on (laughs) 85. Um, Kevin De Bruyne are on 100. So Frank Lampard, 102. Wayne Rooney, 103. Fabregas is the one you're looking for at uh, 111. And Ryan Giggs, way out there in front, 162 assists. So while Kevin De Bruyne has got a little bit of a way to go to catch him up, but he's the only one currently in the Premier League who has even half a chance of of catching up and being the greatest assister of all time, is it the only, is, it's possible, um, but um, I guess with um, with Ryan Griggs playing so many games, it puts him so far mm. in front. Nobby well, Solano, it, by the way, joint nineteenth. Yes. For uh, you Newcastle fans out there, is he the best? Uh, is he the highest ranked Peruvian on the list? That's the most important thing. Yes, he is. Good. <laughs> <laughs>
3: he will take that to the
2: grave. It's a good starting point, but it does only tell half of the story because, as you kind of hinted. That kind, It depends largely on the amount of games that have been played, as well as their contribution to those games. So those with longer Premier League careers, like James Milner, is going to creep into the list with more assists because of the
0: amount of game time they've yeah, had. Kevin, but I, I, it I was going to say Kevin De Bruyne is now. He's he's, he's got his hundred um, assists. In all competitions, uh, sorry, 100, now assisted a hundred goals uh, in all competitions, but uh, more than any other Premier League player since making his debut for the club as well. So he's done it the fastest uh, since mm-hmm. since joining a club. So from that point of view, he is he is the greatest of all time at the moment because he's done it quicker than anybody else. And as I say, he's he's the only one of the current crop of any Premier League player who has a chance of joining the the you know the, the all-time legends, in which he already has in a way because he's in the top five. So it's um, it's pretty strong for him.
2: I guess the real indication of his importance for that team at the moment is that he is very rarely rotated by Pep Guardiola, who is a man who loves a bit of a squad rotation. KDB is pretty much an effort present in that team, certainly in the last few weeks. Not many contentious talking points to discuss in the game itself, but we did have four pretty impressive Manchester City goals, none from Kevin De Bruyne, all from other, although he did get the assist, as we mentioned. But which was your pick of those four? Marley, because they were four really good efforts. Um,
3: as you say, they were all they're all good goals. But um, I like Sterling's the best. I don't have him down as a as a free kick taker. So when I seen him taking it, I thought, oh well, like he must be wanting to try something. Obviously, he's been through that bit of a goal drought recently, and um, Mister Penalty, yeah, Mister Penalty, and everything like that. And um, I think some people it made me laugh that some people were saying that his uh, his haircut was. Uh, was bothering him and people were saying like when he had a skin fade and a skin head, he was, uh, he was lethal. He was like banging in goals every week. And then he, he shaves his head at the weekend, comes out with this nice, fresh, fresh trim and whacks a free kick right into the postage stamp stamp of a top corner. Um, but that was, that was a brilliant free kick for me. The technique on it was excellent. Um, even keeper Gaita, should have done the... a
2: little bit better. Shouldn't he?
3: I was just about to say that because it, it was his, it sort of, I, I would think that at first, like obviously because it goes in his side, but it goes in that far into the top corner that like it it almost can be almost excused of like, you know, you've still got to Mm. stick it in that tiny little space um, and he's done that. But yeah, maybe, all right, maybe in hindsight he he could have stayed a bit stiller and not moved any, like at at all across um, because he must have took half a step across to... Open up that gap, yeah, but still, quality free kick and Gun to Guns was brilliant as well. Obviously, but um, I think just think for the for the technique and for the uh, the sort of set piece nature of it, I thought that was really good. Sterling's and I'm glad to see him scoring again because I don't always agree with all the criticism he gets when he's um, when he misses some simple chances. But having said that, I was confused that he even took the penalty last week. But we'll leave that uh, leave that in the past.
2: One of the problems with Manchester City being so good is that it's really difficult to find new things to say about Manchester City being good. When they were struggling earlier on in the season, it was much more refreshing to be able to criticise them and slag them off a little bit. But this Manchester City team that's been playing the last few weeks looks like the Manchester City of old. And I'm interested in, does this kind of turnaround add to the aura around Pep Guardiola? Or does the fact that they started the season so poorly and should have been so much better at the start of the season with the talent they have. Does that detract or does it the fact that Pep Guardiola's looked at the situation, he's kind of
0: reorganised and
2: rebuilt Manchester City and got them firing again. Does that kind of add to his legacy?
0: I I think... Pep Guardiola's legacy has allowed him that extra time to to steady the ship. I mean, they, they had a bit of a wobble. I think every Premier League team through the course of the season has a bit of a wobble. And perhaps Manchester City's wobble started uh, started the season and, and now they, they're getting in the groove. I think that if it wasn't necessarily a manager like Pep Guardiola, say we were talking about um, one of the managers further down the league maybe the press might be getting a little bit more anxious but I think because you know it's Guardiola and he's got this impressive legacy that he's created at various clubs already that you know what he's doing that people just think well you know i'm sure guardiola's got a plan i'm sure it's going to come right you wouldn't necessarily Mm. say that um you know all the time with 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 some managers um and and uh, he has got them playing and, and he's got certain key players playing well for him as well hasn't he that that's really changed it around i mean look at john stones john stones Perhaps uh, at some point last season you might be thinking that he was he was out of favor and, and is he going to be having to find a new club and he's got a new lease of life even in just in the last month. Uh, he's, and, and maybe that's because of extra uh, competition for, for his place in, in the team uh, that he's knuckled down and, and, and shown that he's claiming that spot. but he's been one of the key reasons for me I and mean, scored again yesterday and um, and really has uh, reinvented himself in that team too. It's really interesting
2: you mentioned John Stones because he was one of the standout performers. Well, has been over the last few weeks since he came into that defensive partnership with Ruben Diaz. Is he back in the England reckoning now, Marley? You kind of have to discount the goals a little bit when it comes to centre backs because they're not going to pop up and score your goals every week. So you have to judge it purely on his defensive ability. But I mean, if you remember, think back to when he came to City from Everton. He was one of the hottest prospects in English football at that point, and. Since then, his stock has dramatically fallen. Kind of mistakes crept into his game. He seems to have got rid of them now. He seems to have mastered the art of almost simple defending. He looks like a much more mature player. So, is he now, in that England reckoning, potentially even one of the first-choice centre-backs?
3: Yeah, I think so. Um, if if he carries on to the end of the season, or even just up until March when England play again, I think um, he's definitely in the, in the squad, and he's definitely in the team, because... I think he fits that back 3 system um that, that Southgate likes to play um he's playing week in week out in a in a back 4 um as well so he's comfortable with a partner alongside him and you'd say if everyone's fit you could probably go with um with Stones alongside Maguire as as the first two uh, center backs in the England team because I don't think there's anyone playing better than John Stones defensively in the league arguably probably except Ruben Diaz, who's alongside him which is why Man City haven't conceded a goal in uh, f- forever I can't even remember the last goal they conceded but it's um it's mm-hmm. brilliant to see him having fully turned this round I, I don't like I don't like writing players off when they just go through a bit of a bad spell because it, he he looked he looked gone at Man City he looked like he was going to have to move possibly back to Everton some sort of you know uh, slightly lower team you know somebody who's going for a top half finish or maybe a Europa League finish rather than um, a title challenging side um, but he's he's got a chance out of nowhere and he's, he's took it with both hands and he's scoring scoring goals he's keeping clean sheets he's not mis- misplacing a pass he's doing everything right defensively so you can't say you can't look and see if there's a better defender in the uh, playing better than him in the Premier League right now.
2: As for Crystal Palace, I mean, what can we say about Crystal Palace that we haven't said before? Again, hopelessly unambitious. I thought that when they went two goals down, surely if you're two goals down as a Premier League team, you have to show a little bit of adventure. You have to try and get something back because you might as well lose 4-0, as they did, than kind of secure a 2-0 win. But yeah, even with 2-0 down, there was a very much, there was no intent, there was no attacking ambition from Crystal Palace. It really feels like you want them to do, they should be doing more, doesn't it, Ian? I, I understand the idea, particularly when you go to play Manchester City, you put... Nine men behind the ball—that's kind of or ten men or whatever it is you're doing. Yet you you play that defensive block, you try and stop them. But once you've conceded a couple, that plan of a nil-nil's out the window. You have to be a bit more offensive, don't you? A bit more adventurous.
0: I think you certainly do have to against teams like Manchester City. Yes, and at least showing some ambition I think we're seeing and we mentioned this last week when we're talking about Newcastle and and the fact that maybe teams are getting away with it a little bit because of not having fans in the in the ground if there were an away contingent in in the ground yesterday watching that match you surely can't imagine that Crystal Palace fans would have been too happy just sitting and watch back waiting, waiting for Man City to come at them again as as they were doing yeah um, it, it did honk to me of uh, operation, we'll just sit tight and, and try and, and concede as few as we can, and if we nick, nick something, then then all the better, uh, which, as you say, is is one of those things. But that's what Roy Hodgson does, isn't it? He just parks the bus and and hopes that that they can weather the storm mm-hmm. and, and maybe get a penalty or a free kick or a bit of luck or an own goal or something and, and get that lead on the board and then just defend the hell out of it. Uh, and it works to an extent because you know they're halfway up the league table they're not doing too badly at the minute but it is negative and it doesn't show any sort of sense of ambition for for the support and as I say if they were playing like that at home and say Man City were were caning them 4-0 at their place then you can't imagine the fans just being happy and applauding sitting back and just hoping not to concede a fifth. You're part of a fan base
2: that's very disenchanted with their manager, Marley. So what's your opinion on the Crystal Palace situation? Because playing defensively against City is one thing. Playing defensively week in, week out is a completely different issue. And there was a really interesting tweet by HLTCO on Twitter, who's a prominent Crystal Palace member of the Twitter Twitterati. Um, He's who... Prominent tweeter. <laughs> he posted the shots on target the Palace have had against opposition recently. Against Manchester City, zero shots on target. Against Wolves, zero shots on target. Against Brighton, one shot on target. Against Chelsea, zero shots on target. Against Everton, one shot on target. Against Bournemouth, one shot on target. In other words, they're not creating anything in any of the games, no matter who the opposition are. And like I say, against Man City, particularly without Wolf Sahar, you can almost excuse it. But At what price do Crystal Palace fans want to stay in the Premier League? Because at the end of the day, we talk about football being an entertainment business. There is very little entertainment in that Crystal Palace side, even with Wolfzar and even with Ezzy in it.
3: Yeah, I think it's a tough one because obviously you don't want to read too much into the Man City game um, because most teams in the league lose to Man City. But, you know, the, the stats there suggest that, you know, they fell into a bit of a rut, I think, if they don't have Zaha, I know it's a bit of a cliche, you know, if you stop Zahar, you stop Palace. But you do. It's it's there's not there's no evidence to prove otherwise. There's no evidence of, you know, um, are you going on a, a run and setting up Eze or, or stuff like that? Like they don't. There's no threat without him. And I think obviously yesterday they're, they're always going to struggle because if you're playing on the counter attack and you don't have your best dribbler of the ball. You're knackered against Man City. Um, somebody that can win you free kicks in the opposition half and give you a chance to sort of, um, you know, relieve the pressure a little bit. So I just think Palace are quite an old team, led by an old manager. So they're very experienced. I think they're the oldest average age in the Premier League. It's something about 29 years old, I think. Um, and they don't they don't play with much sort of energy other than when it comes to Zaha or sometimes Eze. And even Eze, I don't think has been as good as people were saying he was earlier in the season. Like everyone was going on as if he was the new Zaha, and it's like he scored one amazing goal, fine, but other than that, I, I don't think he's been consistent enough. He's a raw um, talent,
2: isn't he? He's not. He's not the finished yeah. article yet.
3: Yeah, and it, but it's in in a weird sort of way. Like it's it's almost like that's what a Crystal, Crystal Palace need more of. Like, I think when you get older and you get more experienced, you're more likely to sit in against big teams and not try anything because you've got that experience of getting battered and you don't want it again. So sometimes when you have younger, like young, exciting players like Zahara... Well, Zahara's not the young, but he's an exciting player. But you got Zahara and Eze and they think, right, sod this, I'm going to try and run at them. I think against teams that aren't as good as Man City, that is an avenue for success because Crystal Palace they're not hard to play against i don't think i don't think you look at them and say they've got a striker that can definitely hurt us if we're not at our best cuz benteke is not prolific anymore he hasn't been for for 5 6 years now um IU doesn't get many uh, had a good season last season but doesn't get too many goals but that's why he doesn't seem to get a start um i'm not quite sure why i think he's their best finisher in the uh, in their squad but he's not getting a game and it's not too hard to play against um Against Crystal Palace, so they need for me. They need to decide where they want to go in the future. Um, I think Hodgson's contract's up soon, um, so they can maybe say, "Look, thank you for making us solid, but now we're going to go with someone else because there's there's managers out there that will fancy taking a sort of level top of the bottom half style Premier League club and saying, right, well, let's have a push for the top ten because you know, with a new philosophy and a new way of playing, I think maybe they can uh, they can do a bit more with that squad.
0: The only question I would uh, throw in there is, for, for a defensive team that Palace kind of claim that they are, and, and Roy Hodgson likes to set up his defensive teams, they've currently got a goal difference of minus 11, which is uh, probably one of the concerns.
2: <laughs> mm. Well, they haven't kept that many clean sheets at all this season, they haven't been that strong defensively, which I guess is part of the problem, but they are nailed on And, and one of the best
3: players is the goalkeeper as well, isn't it? Mm. Like... We talk about the poor defensive record. They've got a great goalkeeper, I think, in Gaeta, He's made some insane saves over the course of his
2: Palace career and they just can't help him out with the defence. Manchester City have a game in hand. That is against Aston Villa on Wednesday. If they win that, they go top of the Premier League. They're the first Premier League team to win five consecutive games this season. They are definitely the form team at the moment. In one word, before we wrap up this, are Manchester City now favourites to win the Premier League title? Marley? Oh, yes. That was two words, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was one elongated word. <laughs> I, I, I think so too. I think City are definitely in the driving seats. Right, that is it for our match preview. Like I say, City are playing again on Wednesday. Wednesday morning's podcast will preview their game against Aston Villa. Make sure you've hit subscribe so you get that if you're a City fan. Next, we're going to talk about tonight's Premier League game because Arsenal are playing Newcastle. We'll do that next on Football Social Daily.
1: Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now, so you never miss an episode. Listen to the latest Premier League news, updates and match reports now. Just ask Open OpenSport Social.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. We're looking at tonight's big Premier League game. It's Arsenal versus Newcastle. And I think we have to start, rather than with the game, with the Mesut Ozil saga, which is reaching a conclusion, it seems. I don't think it's been confirmed officially yet, but Ozil confirmed on Sunday that he's transferring to Fenerbahce in Turkey. I think it's undoubtedly a good thing for the club and good a good thing for the player that this has come to an end because his period at Arsenal had become toxic but how will people look back at his Arsenal legacy Ian do you think they'll remember the positives because when he came in under Wenger he was a breath of fresh air he was a fantastic player it's only in recent
0: years it's really gone south I think from looking at the comments on, on his Twitter and, and his Instagram and stuff where he's put pictures of him uh, sitting on an aeroplane uh, ready to go to Turkey with, with Fenerbahce flags behind him, I think that was fairly, fairly mm. good confirmation. I think looking at what people are, um, are saying, they, they are regarding him as an Arsenal legend they are looking at the the good times of the stuff he has delivered for them and the the, you know the great performance he's put in I think the last year or so has been a bit of a sideshow hasn't it which has kind of um, tarnished his name a little bit in the short term but I think when people look back at Mesut Özil and and they they forget this last you know year or so where he's been out of favour and it's been a little bit um, acrimonious between him and the club and especially based on a lot to do with how much he's being paid and and all that for sitting on the sidelines. It's not his fault, he's sitting on the sidelines. If the manager's dropped him, we don't know exactly what's gone off there uh, to to put him in that position. But anyway, he's out of there now. I'm sure that's going to lift an elephant out of the room at at Arsenal and and help them kick on. But I think he's going to be regarded as an Arsenal legend for the time being. I think, um, and especially as he's gone away to a a club overseas as well, he's not going to be able to build a legacy, um, certainly in the short term. In the Premier League, so he's, he's always going to be uh, synonymous with Arsenal, isn't he? I think
2: undoubtedly he was a very good one of the best Premier League players in his pomp. I think he held the assist rating in terms of the number of games he'd played. I should have had the, I should have been you in, I should have had the stat <laughs> ready before I tried to remember it. Something like he had more assists per appearance than any other player, or something. Yeah, I
0: don't have the um, Ötzel, um, stat. Uh, machine fired up I'll I'll see if I can (laughs) dig it up for you Um,
2: You can see if you can find that and I'll ask Marley instead about Steve Bruce's (laughs) comments because it was really I mean Steve Bruce has given some interesting press conferences over the last couple of weeks hasn't he he was saying just after the Sheffield United loss that the attacks on him had been personal rather than professional and he's come out in his pre-match press conference for the Arsenal game by saying now he's going to do it his way I've got the full quote here, so I'll read the whole thing to you before we get stuck in. So he said, the gloves are off now. I'm going to do it my way. Okay, we've played a certain way to try and make sure we get the results we need. It's pragmatic. But I've said from day one the way I wanted to play. More on the front foot. I haven't done it enough. It's something I've toyed with since I've been at the club. And for me, to change is sometimes difficult for them. I'm going to do it. The way I see fit. Sounds Are like we gonna l-
0: see... lyrics from a rap
2: battle. <laughs> it does a little bit. Uh, that I'd love to see. <laughs> Tonight's game should be decided by a rap battle between Steve Bruce and Mikel Arteta. Are we going to see a free-flowing, attacking Newcastle United tonight, Marley? As Steve Bruce does it his way.
3: Um, I doubt it, but do you know what? I think we'll be more... Attacking and we won't be as bad as we get we were against Sheffield United that's for sure because we've done it before this season where we've put in a stinking performance and then we've come out and played well in the next game because everyone wants to to write it kind of thing, um, but I, I still can't see anything you know amazing happening like the you talk about is is press conference stuff there and all that does to Newcastle fans is we wind wind us up more because. He says, oh, now oh, the gloves are off. And, you know, it's a great soundbite, isn't it? It's a great thing to say. Um, the gloves are off. I'm going to start doing it my way. Steve, you've been in charge of this club for 18 months. Whose way have you been doing it for the last coming up two years? Like, what have you been doing? Have you been, like, putting down a team of, of a sort of 4-5-1 and then sending it to Mike Ashley? And He says, now we need to play five at the back, mate, because that's what Rafa did. Like, who, who are you talking to? <laughs> Who like what you're trying to do? I don't understand who else is responsible for the things that you're claiming. Like, if if what he's been sort of saying is true, it would suggest that the players have a huge say on on what team gets um gets picked, and that's a massive massive problem because that just I don't believe that's true as well. I don't think we've got the type of squad that would that would say, now we need to play five at the back because we don't know how to do anything else. Um, but for him to say, you know, we're going to start doing it my way, we've, we haven't attacked enough. It's, it's almost like he knows the problem and he's just not done anything about it for the last
2: uh, well, I don't know. I, I kind of read it as him going, we're being pragmatic. We're We've played the way we need to play to get results. But if you want me to play attacking football, I'll play attacking football, but we're going to lose. <laughs> which <laughs> which seems to be kind of what you're we'll saying. Lo- we're losing anyway.
3: That's <laughs> yeah. the thing. Like if it's you might as well have a go like against Sheffield United. You know, the the respect and fear we showed Sheffield United was a joke. It was like just it was just like bending over in front of them and saying, "Go on. Do what you want because we're not going to try and attack you at all." It's ridiculous the the performance we put in, and even Bruce to the to the journalists, um, to the written journalists on Friday, I think it was, he uh, he actually said, um, that that the team was, <laughs> he actually said the word, and I was like, Jesus Christ, like, he's he's trying to get them on side by being being, a bit sort of um, you know, I understand this problem kind of thing, and I'm gonna call my own team, rubbish and. In, a, in as in strong a way as I can and it 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 sounded to me like it was something like, you know, um a bit of a soundbite for the fans to cling on to and say, Oh well he is serious now, um that um that we're gonna start playing a different way. But the fans don't believe him. We'll believe it mm-hmm. when we see it, then we when we start trying to pass the ball and score goals from something other than set pieces and lumping it up into the channels towards uh towards our striker but no, it's, um, it's, we won't be as bad tonight against as against Arsenal as we were against Sheffield United. And we played well against Arsenal in the Cup, I thought. Uh, well, I was going to say, if you're going to change your tactics,
2: if you're going to change your tactics and be more attacking and be more offensive, this isn't the game to do it, is it? Because, you, like you say, you played F- in the FA Cup a couple of weeks back in a mm-hmm. fairly cagey affair all round, and you almost nicked it at the end. Mm-hmm. So surely, don't you want to use that as your carbon copy to go out and try and get it? your three points tonight rather than going right we've got St Maximum back and he is fit again let's go five at the front and see what happens
3: uh, I don't know It's it, it does make logical sense but I think the way everything's been building up to this it, it does seem like he's going to go slightly more attacking and uh, it does seem like that I mean he's he's um... You know, it does make sense to, to maybe ship uh, you know shore up at the back in this, but I think the, the way everything's happened in the last few weeks, I don't think that's what he's uh, what he's going to do. I think we can expect to see players like Almiron and um, and some sort of winger, whether it be Murphy um, or whoever or Richie, they'll probably start and they'll they'll probably be given sort of the task of going and doing something I don't think we'll have sent Maximum back um, he's trained once in seven weeks so I'd be surprised if he made the squad um, he's back in training but nowhere near match fit after Covid and you know six weeks seven weeks uh, sitting on his backside waiting for waiting for the symptoms to pass or whatever strain he had or whatever um, whatever has gone on with him he's, he's nowhere near fit enough to make an impact in, in the game in such a short uh, space of training time I think but I mean yeah we we did it's it's a, it's a tough situation to be fair because tonight we did play well against um Arsenal in the in the FA Cup but we did kind of ride our chances a little bit they still had chances it's not like we completely shut them out um and then we nearly nicked one at the end um with Carroll and um the young lad Anderson nearly nearly um capped his debut with a with a crazy goal but um it's you've got to, you've got to ride your luck against Arsenal. So almost like if we concede early, I don't know what the what'll happen to the team. Um because it will just destroy any sort of game plan they had. Um so I'm hoping they can, can they can keep it a little bit steady for the back but also try and play. Just try and do something because I think the fans need to see something now. Um, even just a glimpse of us having any sort of talent and any sort of threat against the team that is better than us because we can't sit around and wait to play the bottom teams and choose when we attack because every time we've played a bottom side this season um they've beaten us. We didn't beat Fulham. We didn't beat Sheffield United. We didn't beat uh Brighton earlier in the season. They all they all beat us um except Fulham. Uh, I think we drew with Fulham and they had 10 men and we didn't deserve that because Wilson dive for a penalty and we only got away with a draw like that. So we can't take our, we can't pick our chances. We've got to try and uh, take teams on no matter how good
2: they are. It feels to me, and that Arsenal can put down a little bit of a marker today. They're unbeaten in their last four. There was talk of them a month ago about being potential relegation candidates, but they've been slowly climbing the table. The performances have been much better. There's been a few young, new faces coming to the squad that seem to have energised the, the way Arsenal play under Mikel Arteta. So a good win tonight against Newcastle really kind of lays that marker down and goes... Actually, we are to be taken
0: seriously. There is progression under this manager. Yeah, I mean, as you say, before Christmas there were, I think, at one point, twenty to one to go down. Um, but I think I was just wishful thinking on many people's part. But um, they were always, I think, when you get these big clubs in a false position like that, whoever they are, you know, you know, they've got so much, so um, many more resources than than most of the Premier League, and Arsenal being, if not the richest, one of the richest clubs in in the, in the league anyway <clears throat> they're always going to get their way out of it it come um, push come to shove Um, As you say, it's been great to see some of the some of the younger players break into the team. They are on a bit of a roll at the moment, and um, I think Newcastle are the perfect kind of team to be playing at the minute, where they're the other way and and having a little bit more of a wobble against um, various teams. I I agree with Marley. I think that they have they have got the resources to to um, ride out a game with Arsenal. I think I don't think they're going to be spanked in the way Crystal Palace were against Manchester City quite so much. But um, I think that I still back Arsenal to, to get the three points at, at the end of the match and um, and continue that run and it's you know Arsenal are one of the classic British teams out there they you know, we need we need teams like Arsenal doing well really for the for the excitement of the Premier League it, we, they're one of those classic teams you don't want to see Arsenal down in the doldrums we meant mentioned that um so Maximan is potentially back in contention
2: tonight they've also got the potentially back for Newcastle and Arsenal Look like Kieran Tierney could be back in his team after his calf injury that they thought was going to rule him out for a few weeks isn't too bad at all. So he should be available for Arsenal tonight. That game kicks
0: off at 8pm this evening. Do you want a stat about Mesut Ozil?
2: Yes, I definitely want the stat about
0: Mesut Ozil. What have we got? Well, Mesut Ozil was the um, quickest to reach 50 assists in Premier League history. There you go. Until... Kevin De Bruyne came along. Wow, that brings everything back
2: nicely to a cyclical kind of nature, doesn't eh? he? He, uh, brings everything back to where we started.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mesut Özil did it in 141 appearances, uh, which was the fastest for quite some time. In fact, since the days of Eric Cantona, and then Kevin De Bruyne came along and whacked 50 assists in in 123 games, so firmly at the top.
2: Just goes to show that like, and even, even the players that show the most promises can end up as a bit of a meme on the internet, doesn't it? And uh, Mesut Ozil's time, Arsenal, as we discussed, has come to an end. We're going to talk about some other players whose times at certain Premier League clubs might be coming to an end. We've got Deli Alli and we've got Jesse Lingard on the agenda in our transfer roundup, which is coming next on Football Social Daily.
1: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. the latest Premier League news for your team just ask open Sport social
2: welcome back to football social daily wrapping up today's podcast with a load of transfer gossip I've picked some of the most interesting stories from the gossip columns and the papers and social media over the last couple of days to wrap up our podcast today we're going to start at Tottenham Hotspur as I said just before the break Delhi alley is looking for a way out of London and apparently according to Fabrizio Romano who is in general, a pretty reliable transfer source on social media says that Delielli fancies a move to PSG, but Spurs are unlikely to let him leave. I mean, this is one of those situations, isn't it, Marley, where if a player wants to leave, he can force that move. Although I'm not entirely sure what it would look like if Delielli down tools at Tottenham. I'm not sure how he could do any less. <laughs> but if he wants to leave at the end of the day, he will get that move to psg you'd imagine this window
3: yeah you, you'd think so i think it does look likely that he's going to go somewhere um and psg seems to be the only one it feels one.
2: perfect as well doesn't it? it it feels like a really good move for him
3: yeah six months in paris yeah not not bad is it six months in paris they're in the champions league knockout stages um the old managers there um everything seems you know i didn't i didn't fancy the move at first it seemed weird um but then, when you when you pick it apart, I think a lot of it is in in place, um, and it does make more sense. I think go and play for six months. If you do well, great. If you if you can't get in the team, you can come back in the summer with a fresh start. And Mourinho might have changed mm-hmm. his um, changed his system. He could have changed players. Could have left. I'd Anything could have happened basically in six months' time, and um, you can think as well as even if he came back and he was on the transfer list, it's better to move in the summer than in the um, in January window where you you sort of stretch for options. But yes, yeah, six months at, at Paris, if he can get it, uh, great. I, I think he needs to go and play with the Euros coming up. Um, so if he can get in the PSG, um, if he can get the move to PSG, then fair play to him.
2: When you look at situations like this, Ian, does it feel like a player has earned the right to move? If they want to move, they're not getting game time at their parent club. He's been a fairly reliable player and appeared regularly for Spurs over the, what, five years that he's been there. So does it feel like the club almost owe him the opportunity
0: to go and prove himself elsewhere? You'd think so in in terms of um, out of courtesy of what he has contributed to to Tottenham because he's bit of a Tottenham legend. He's he's not like a fringe player who's, who's you know, only played a few matches or whatever. He's um, certainly done a shift at Tottenham. You'd hope that's the case. I mean, Daniel Levy, though, well known for being quite a hard businessman and without knowing exactly the conversations that are going on behind closed doors, um, he does strike me as a chairman that's more likely to be uh, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And if ultimately it comes down to... Um, I think to Mourinho, whether Mourinho is happy for him to go, I think if Mourinho is not keen for him to leave, even though he's not playing regularly, I can see maybe Tottenham digging their heels in. I always remember the... the um, uh, it was David... You remember David Hurst back in the day? Uh, he used to play for Sheffield Wednesday. He um, he was called into manager's office at Sheffield Wednesday and I think it was David Pleat at the time, said, oh, we've had a fax coming from Manchester United. They want to sign you. And he was like, oh fantastic you know this sounds good to me uh he said yeah we've turned it down because we don't want you to leave so uh that's the end of that and then um david has got a bad injury and and, uh, that was the end of him then they ended up signing um i forget who they signed in the end i think it was andy cole um instead but um you know clubs can dig their heels in and they can turn them Mm -hmm. down certainly Certainly used to whether they will in the current days with agents going to the press and stuff. <laughs> I don't know, but um, it's, it seems like a weird
2: choice to hang on to Deli Alley given yeah. the game time he's he's getting. But I guess Premier League managers, particularly at the moment, are keen to have the biggest squads they possibly can with the fixtures coming thick and fast. The bonkers, unbelievable transfer rumour of the day is being printed by The Telegraph, who are claiming that Manchester City's Pep Guardiola is going to have £200 million to spend in the summer. That's not that. Crazy to think, but apparently top of his wish list is Inter Milan and Belgium forward and former Manchester United player Romelu Lukaku. <laughs> is this as insane as it sounds, Marley? Is there any logic to this one?
3: Um, The logic is that he can score goals and he's big and physical. Um, The logic mm. is that, well, the, the lack of logic is that if it's anyone other than Erling Haaland that Man City should be going for, it's uh, it's crazy. Um, I think Lukaku... Look, as good as as good a player as he is, we have seen him in the Premier League with Man United, and he did look clumsy, and his technique let him let him down. And I don't think Man United even play as, the same way as uh, Man City do. Um, I think when you looked, you looked at you know Lukaku with his his first touch was uh, much maligned when he was at Man U, and I think it has to be better um, if you're gonna play in Man City system with the the tight one touch stuff. Um, the link up and the movement and everything like that, I think he's got everything else to his game but the technical aspect of it the the touches in tight spaces and the, the link up with um with the midfielders and the wingers, I think I don't think it suits him as much um, because of, of what we've seen at Man United, I think he did probably dig, did get too much stick when he was at Man U because he was still uh, a threat and he was still scoring goals, he had a good record still um, but I think it's just the the way the team's played doesn't quite sit right for me. Um, and I think when you look at Haaland scoring so many goals in Germany and playing in a similar system in a similar possession style based um, team, I just think if it's anyone other than him, is this a bit of, um, bit of a, a smokescreen, a bit of a distraction to say, well, you know, we might go for someone else if, ha- if Haaland's reps aren't playing ball and Dortmund aren't. You know, playing ball and mm. stuff like that. So, I think maybe this is um, maybe a bit of paper talk to try and um, sort of throw everyone off that they're after they're after Harland. I think.
2: I mean. City fans would love it if Lukaku came to Manchester City after not doing great at Manchester United and was brilliant for them. But maybe it is the style of play that doesn't quite suit him at that level. We have seen him at Everton, though, and he did well at Everton in the Premier League. He's got 12 goals in 17 this season for Milan. He got 23 goals last season. It feels like if he wants to move to the Premier League, Ian, that he's kind of earned that right to get another chance because he has proved himself at so many other clubs bar maybe Manchester United
0: yeah he's he's, he's obviously got something as he say he was a, a legend at Everton didn't quite work out for him at Man United for one reason or another uh, but clearly delivering um, into Milan at the moment um, he 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 is, a, he is a, a a very good player and, and I think when you look at the sort of service he might get from a team like Manchester City currently, we're talking about Kevin De Bruyne, and you, you look at the, the quality as well, it's not just the assists, it's not just a lucky kind of through ball that he's having a a, a, a run with with Kevin De Bruyne, these these. Assists that he's putting in the crosses, particularly yesterday. You know, the absolute pinpoint crosses, just in exactly the right place for where that that uh, player needs it. And that kind of service, you know, Kevin De Bruyne whipping balls in for Lukaku, uh, if he's uh, got his shooting boots on, that's got to be a good thing for um, for Man City. And we've talked about their problems up front and and so on through the mm. course of this season. For me, though. The only question mark is, and I, I go back to a time when I saw him playing for Everton. I think it was one of his last games for Everton and maybe that um, that is the, the explains it. But he was playing for Everton and I think it was against Sunderland um, and I probably got some free tickets to go and watch. <laughs> and... Uh, and he, he just was not interested. They were getting beat, were Everton. Um, it was a match where I think Sunderland had to win to stay in the Premier League that season. And he, I just remember him with his hands on his hips. He was not tracking back. He was not bothered. He was just waiting for that ball over the top. And, you know, and I think to be contributing to a Pep Guardiola team, you need to do more than just be waiting mm-hmm. for the, that, that cross to come in. So he'd have to be uh, a little bit more energetic, I think, if he fancied a Man City career. based on that
2: (laughs) Undoubtedly it's an area that Manchester City do need to strengthen and it's quite remarkable where they are this season considering they've not had a recognised striker for a large majority of it Let's finish with one more rumour Sheffield United apparently think they can sign Jesse Lingard from Manchester United Sheffield United bottom of the Premier League Manchester United flying high If you were Lingard would you fancy that switch Marley? Um, I would fancy going and playing football for a bit, I think. Um, Even if it was at Sheffield United?
3: Yeah, because Sheffield United don't play don't play bad football. It's not like they, they starve themselves of possession. I think the one thing Sheffield United try to do, and maybe this is to their downfall a little bit, is they do try and play. They, they try and keep the ball. Um, they try and build attacks. They don't just lump it towards McGoldrick or Burke or McBurney or whoever's up there. They try and use the wings and, and uh, you know, they have a bit of a, an identity, and uh, yeah, it hasn't worked this season. But can it work? Um, I think Wilder's going to stick to that, and if he probably thinks if I can get a bit more quality in the, in the squad, then um, this this isn't over yet. And I think Lingard can't be that fussy. I don't think. I think you know, there's there's twelve days of January left, and uh, you should maybe if a, if an offer comes in, you should seriously consider it because other than um, you know. There's six months to the Euros, and that seems a, a way off for, for Lingard right now. But still, that has to be his aim. Like he has to think, he has to be that ambitious and say, "Well, if I can go and play, I can still be a player in the Premier League." He's still not. He's not past the the point of no return. I don't think he just needs a fresh challenge and a fresh um, manager to maybe just trust him a bit. But the only thing I would think is right now how Sheffield United have played for the last two years Lingard does not fit into that system in any way I think if if you're playing a flat midfield 3 I don't think he's ever played there um he doesn't mm-hmm. play as a wing back um as far as I know you, we talk about Lingard as a right midfielder they don't play with a, a natural sort of orthodox right midfielder so where would he fit into that team I think maybe that's a discussion he would have to have um before he signed anything um uh, but if it fits and, and if there's um, if he fancies the job, then I think it's not a bad it's not a bad move for him.
2: As Marley says, twelve days left of the transfer window doesn't really feel like it's kicked into gear yet. But as soon as it does, we'll have the latest news for you on football social daily on the podcast. You can also check out the latest news on your team on the website sports-social.co.uk, or you can find us on your Amazon speaker or your google home speaker by saying open sports social find us in all of those places but that is it for today's podcast ian thank you very much thank you marley nice one cheers guys click subscribe now never miss an episode and we'll see you next time on football social daily
1: football social daily from Sports social find us on twitter at the sport social